This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The guest speaker is featured on this message. My name is Aaron Paul. I'm one of the members here at Grace Church. Craig Kevinis is in El Paso serving uh, one of the Sovereign Grace Churches there in El Paso. So this week he asked if I would speak. The passage that we're going to be looking at today is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's the next section. If you've been with us, we're going through a series in 1 Corinthians. We've been looking at what we're calling Together. Uh, The next section that we're looking at is today's text, and it's chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. Now, before I read it, this passage has to do with food, and so I think that might be why they asked me to speak. If you know anything about me, you know I love food. Uh, So I apologize. We've got lunch after. Uh, I got some people, last time it was New Year's when I spoke, and I talked about sleep. I had people complaining about that. I'm going to be talking about food today, so just get your minds ready. Self-control until lunch. Uh, Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We know that every word that we have um, in this Bible in front of us is inspired by you, is breathed out by the Holy Spirit. And so God, we know that today you have given us your word for instruction, for teaching, for training, and we just pray that you would speak to us through your word, even through means as myself, God, that you just speak wisdom through me, speak truth through me, that you'd help us be changed and shaped and molded by what we hear today. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
So this morning, uh, I was trying to think of a cool, and uh, not necessarily cool, but I was trying to think of a helpful model for today's message, points, you know, like three points that will help you remember today's passage. I couldn't really think of anything clever. We could probably spend the next three hours unpacking things here in the passage. Uh, if you're new with us today, don't worry, the message isn't three hours. I've got like 30, maybe 40 minutes, so uh, not three hours. But so what I want to look at is, uh, Paul says this in uh, the beginning of the passage. He talks about uh, when you get together, he says, it is not for the better, but for the worse. So the, the structure for today's message is why worse? And we're going to look at some points of why their gatherings are for the worse, not for the better, and then make some application from there. So why worse? Well, Paul starts with this phrase, for in the first place. This could be read as to begin with or first of all. So he's not necessarily saying, you know, first and then second and then third. He's just starting this list of uh, things, why their gatherings are for the worse and not for the better. So to begin with, Paul says, um, he says there are divisions. So if you're taking notes, again, why worse? The first point is divisions. Verse 18, he says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Divisions. Here, Paul has talked about, if you've been with us, right, he's been talking about divisions. In chapter 1, Paul talks about divisions. There are Christians in Corinth who some say they follow Paul, and some say that they follow Apollos, and some follow Cephas, and some follow Christ. And so, Paul has been writing in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 3 about divisions and arguing about why divisions are not right in the church. And so Paul hears report that there are divisions and he says, I believe it in part because I I know I've been writing to you about divisions. We see in chapter 3 that there's uh, jealousy and strife and quarreling between the Christian believers in Corinth. And so before Paul even gets into more details about why when they get together it's for the worse, the first thing he says, let let me just begin with something that I've been saying in this letter. There are divisions among you. And why does Paul say that's such a problem? He says it in chapter 3 because each believer, when you trust and put your faith in Christ, you are made, as Paul says, into the church. You're brought into the church, which is Christ's body. And Paul says, is Christ divided? No, no, Christ is one. So divisions in the church are out of place because as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're of one body in Christ. There's not the Apollos Christians and the Cephas Christians and the Dallas Cowboys Christians. I think you can be a Christian and still be a Dallas Cowboy fan. But but there's not these, they're not to be these divisions. They're not... um, You know, it's a horrible tragedy in the church, but there were divisions on race in the church here in our country not too long ago. And Paul would have spoke to that church at that time and said, that's out of place, that's wrong. The church is not to be divided. So what divides us as a church? Do you have brothers or sisters in this church that you don't associate with? whom you argue with. You've got chapter 6 in 1 Corinthians, who you are suing. Do you have people that you're jealous of, that you quarrel with? So Paul's not surprised by the report, he says in verse 19. He believes that there's probably going to be divisions in the church because there are going to be those in the church who, 
who maybe aren't really following the Lord. And so there will be divisions, he says. But what are, what are our divisions here? Where are we tempted to have divisions? So Paul starts with that. says, the first reason, the first reason it's for the worst, the first reason your gatherings are for the worst is because of these divisions among you. Well, what's the second thing he says? The second reason that he says why it's worse, and we're going to spend most of our time today on this, is he says, verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. So it's supposed to, I think that statement, Paul does this a lot, I think that's supposed to make the Corinthians go, what? Like, the, we do every Sunday night, we, we go to Fred's house, and that's where we have the Lord's Supper, he's got balloons in the mailbox that say Lord's Supper. Uh, across the door, we've got a banner that says Lord's Supper service. What are you talking about, Paul? What do you mean this isn't the Lord's Supper? Well, to better understand it, what I want to do is kind of jump ahead. So verses 23 to 26 is where he makes the strong case for why it's not the Lord's Supper. And he gives them basically what the Lord's Supper is. So I want to jump ahead and talk about that and then kind of come back and talk about how what they were doing is not the Lord's Supper. If you're taking notes, you can write down Luke 22, verses 7 through 20. So uh, in the Gospels, we have accounts of what's called the Last Supper. The Last Supper was that. It was the Last Supper that Jesus ate with his disciples. It was a significant supper because it was the Passover feast. And what the Passover was, is the Passover was a celebration um, of when God took the Israelites and miraculously delivered them out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. And God instituted this feast that on the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, the people of Israel were to take the lamb, like they did at that time of the Exodus, they were to take a lamb and roast it, Probably over mesquite wood. (laughs) Some barbecue sauce. Um, So they're going to roast the lamb. And they had unleavened bread. Why did they have unleavened bread? Because at the time of the Passover, God was going to deliver them in the middle of the night. They didn't have time to wait for the dough to rise. They had to make the unleavened bread. And so they would eat this bread and eat the lamb. They had to eat all of it before morning. I would love that. Um, they They had to eat all of it before morning. And the reason God says that we're doing this feast, and I want you to keep this forever, he says, and celebrate it so that when your children come and they ask you, why do we celebrate this feast? Why do we have this unleavened bread? It's weird. Why do we have this roasted lamb? Why are we eating this special meal? Why is it so significant? And why is it the same time every year? It's supposed to be a reminder to them of what God has done in delivering them from the hand of Pharaoh, from the land of Egypt, from slavery. And so that's, that's where Jesus is. He's at the Passover with his disciples, celebrating the Passover. And so in Luke 22, we see Jesus sends John uh, and sends Peter ahead to go prepare the Passover. Now, I don't know if this is because John and Peter are the oldest or the most mature or maybe the best cooks. But he sends them ahead to go prepare the Passover. And he says, you're going to go find this man who's going to have an a upper room for us to, to meet in when you go find him. You'll prepare the Passover meal and we'll join you. And so they go and they prepare the Passover meal. Jesus and his disciples join them in the large upper room. Historians believe that there were, the way they ate, there were probably comfortable like couch cushion type things around the table. And so they reclined at table. They were comfortably seated at the table. 
And listen what Jesus does in Luke 22. He takes a cup of wine, large cup of wine, and he gives wine to each of his disciples. Now this is the same scene where he washes their feet. So maybe it's he's taking the wine and to each disciple he puts some wine in and washes their feet and goes to the next one. That's speculation. That may not be. But what we see here in Luke is that he gives wine to each of the disciples, pours it in their, their cups, goes back and takes the bread, breaks it, gives thanks, breaks it, and gives the bread to each of his disciples. And then he says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So you, gotta, you gotta, first of all, just pause for a second. This is not his body. This was the bread that was supposed to remind us of the exodus out of Egypt. What are you saying, Jesus? This is your body? Well, Jesus said, if you read John, John talks about how Jesus had talked about him being the bread of life. So Jesus is saying this, now I'm, I'm instituting a new practice, a new worship feast And this feast is to be a remembrance feast just like the Passover. But the point of this bread now is to remember my body, which in this context is hours away from being broken for these disciples. This bread broken for you, and he gives it to them, and he ate the bread. And then, and here's the thing that I never noticed until I read Luke, then they eat. So then they're probably eating this roasted lamb. They're eating the meal together. And after they have eaten, it says in Luke, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. See, the the imagery and the irony here are are so strong. So Jesus is here at the Passover. He's taking the bread that was supposed to remind them of being brought out of slavery, and he breaks it and says, this is my body which is broken for you. He takes the cup. Um, wine in the Old Testament could symbolize, uh, was in, used in times of celebration, symbolizing blood. And Jesus says, this, this wine is the new covenant. What is the new covenant? Well, Jeremiah 31 talks about the new covenant. It talks about this new covenant that God was going to make. So he had made an old covenant where he wrote the laws on stone tablets. And he handed those laws to his people. And the people were to keep those laws and to worship him. And we know, if you've read the Old Testament, that they don't. Right? That the people continually turned away from the Lord and worshipped idols and turned away from him. So in Jeremiah, as he's prophesying, the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to uh, take Judah, they're going to destroy the temple, they're going to take most of the people and kill them, they're going to take a lot of people into exile, God's going to bring judgment on his people for 70 years, they're going to be in exile. As he's prophesying this, he says, but there's coming a time, there's coming a day when there will be a new covenant I will make with my people. And I won't write this law on a stone tablet, but I will write this law within them. Through my spirit, I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this this is the new covenant. This blood, in my blood, accomplished through my blood, accomplished through me, and what's going to happen in just a few hours on the cross is a new covenant that God has been promising for years and years to come. This new covenant is found in me and in my blood. That's what the Lord's Supper is. That's what the Lord's Supper celebrates. It's it's this 
the, the, the largest, greatest gathering that we have of remembrance, of remembering what Jesus has done for us, his body being broken for us, his blood being poured out for us to make a new covenant for us in which God writes his law on our hearts so that he, he will accomplish the works of the law for us through Jesus so that we will be his people. Do you see that? The promise is not, I'm going to make just another way for you to have a second chance. I'm going to make a way that you will be my people. Sovereignly, I will write this law in your heart. I will draw people to myself and I will accomplish what they could never accomplish through Jesus. The perfect life that Jesus lived for us counts for us when we put our faith and our trust in him. So what about the Corinthians? Tell us what the Lord's Supper was. What about the Corinthians? How was their Lord's Supper celebration? We'll look at verse 21. Paul says, he just got done saying, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat for, that word is because, in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. So first problem Paul has with the Lord's Supper that they're celebrating in Corinth is that each one goes ahead with his own meal. What is he talking about? Well, it probably means that, that they didn't wait, right? Each person just started eating. And what you, little bit of digging that I did is it basically, in the old, uh, not the old century, but uh, first, century, first century, there we go, in Rome, it was very common to eat one meal a day. And you would eat it in the evening, and it would be a big meal. Has anybody been hungry here before? I get hungry. I love food. I can't imagine waiting until twilight or the evening to eat. If I, if I was waiting until then to eat, I, I don't think I'd be able to wait. And here's what I thought about. I, th- I thought <laughs> I would after I read this message, so obviously. Um, but it brought, up, it brought up a familiar scene of childhood. Anybody been raised like me where you were raised that w- when you go out to eat or you're at the table, you wait till everybody has their food till you eat? And we used to go out to eat, and I'm sure a lot of you do on birthdays, right? You go out to eat, and the person whose birthday it was got to pick the restaurant. And so this one particular scene that I have in mind, my grandma picked the restaurant. And so we're going with grandma. And if you're raised the way I was raised, grandma gets respect in the family, Right? She deserves it. She's birthed so many people. She's cared for so many people in the family. She's um, an elder in the family, and so she's worthy of honor and respect. And so we go out to eat with Grandma. And Grandma orders her meal, and I'm ordering mine. And this was a particular time. I know it's hard to believe, but when I was hungry. And so so we're sitting at the table, and you picture, right, you're, you're out to eat, and everybody has their water or their soda to drink, and then they start to bring the food around. And I'm sitting there hungry, and they set this plate in front of me. And the warm steam of the food is rising, surrounding my face. There's a sweet aroma of, you know, whatever it was. It wasn't barbecue. I didn't really get into barbecue till Texas, and I love it. But so this, let's say it's a hamburger, right? There's this, it's just there, and I'm hungry, and I want to eat it. And to my horror, I look up, and Grandma doesn't have any food in front of her. And even worse, they got grandma's order wrong. And so it's going to be a while till grandma gets her food. Oh, oh no. Like these, these fries don't taste good after a certain amount of time. Like we've got to eat now. And I think that's what's going on, right? So I think what, what they have is they have this feast and they're getting together. And some people are getting their food before others. 
Grandma doesn't have her food, and, he, and this guy, me, just, just digs in and just starts eating. Well, what does that communicate to grandma? Why did my parents raise me in a way that I would wait until grandma got her food? Is it because there's some spiritual magic that happens when we all eat together? I mean, there's a, there's a sense of community for sure when you eat together. But I think one of the main reasons is it shows honor and respect to grandmother. When I wait for grandma to get her food, I show love and honor to her. I show that, you know what, as hungry as my little teenage stomach is right now, Grandma, you're more important than my stomach. What were the Corinthians doing? They were, for whatever reason, maybe it was because this guy over here follows Apollos and I follow Paul. Maybe it was because I don't like the way that guy looks. Maybe it was just I didn't even think about that guy. But the Corinthians are eating, each one going ahead with his own meal. So one of the reasons it's not the Lord's Supper is they're, they're not waiting for each other. They're not eating together. They're not showing honor and respect. And we see that. He says, uh, what? Verse 22, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate? That's, the word is dishonor, those who have nothing. That's what's going on. He's not, he's not saying there are, I don't think he is, and this is one of the views, so you can read study Bible. What I'm saying is, I don't think he's saying there's poor people right there that are starving, that don't have food, and there's Corinthians that are ignoring those poor people and not giving them food. I think what's happening is they're just ignoring each other. They're dishonoring each other by going ahead with their own meal and not waiting for each other. He says, you dishonor, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What's another reason? What are they doing? Also, he says, one, verse 21, one goes hungry, another gets drunk. So while one guy's waiting for his food, this other person is either so far into the meal that they're at the dessert wine, or they're just going out of order, just drinking wine. Either way, there's dishonor and despising of each other. And I think also what Paul is talking about is there's a disorder in the way that they are conducting this service. So Paul, and he'll go on in verse, or chapter 14 and talk about orderly worship. I think Paul's concerned with also the way that they do this Lord's Supper. See, I think there are probably people here in Corinth, not, not here, there probably are people here that maybe think the same thing. But here in Corinth, I think there were people there that thought as long as I get the wine and the bread into my stomach, that's all God really cares about is me drinking the wine and eating the bread kind of giving him a, a, a fist bump, uh, and that's all, that's all God's looking for. He doesn't really care about the order. He doesn't really care about this, this whole ceremony. It's just getting the wine and the bread. And so I think what Paul is saying is, no, look, there's, a, there's an order to it. There's a, to be a waiting for each other because this Lord's Supper, remember, is not just a, it's not just one of the things on the calendar that the church does. This is a huge, important remembrance feast that they're to have together, remembering the greatest thing that has ever happened to us. The reason that we get together is the Lord's Supper, is because of what Jesus did for us. So this Lord's Supper signifies something so much more great than just a meal together. So much more great than just wine and pita bread. Or whatever, we have dry cracker things here, don't we? Uh, I'm sure it's unleavened though. Um, but But the bread and the wine, it's not just getting it into their belly. And that's why I think he says the next thing. So we have divisions, not the Lord's Supper. Another reason it's for the worse and not for the better is they are partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. 
Look at verse 27. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, again, here's another one where I'm, there's, there's different opinions out there. So one of the opinions on this passage is, uh, what he's talking about here is if, if we're taking the Lord's Supper and we haven't thought about, introspectively thought about all of our sins and confessed all of our hidden sins before, before we take the Lord's Supper, that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about people that are just taking the Lord's Supper, not, not really confessing all of their sins before they take the Lord's Supper. I don't think Paul has that in mind. Now, do I think Paul would have a problem with somebody just showing up and not thinking about the Lord at all and take absolutely I think that's part of what he's talking about here but he's saying unworthy manner tying it back to what he just said so he's saying you're, you're taking this in an unworthy manner because you're not caring for and showing honor for each other you're not caring about this ceremony and and taking it in order you're just eating and drinking as you want so you're eating or drinking in an unworthy that's inappropriate is the word there an unworthy manner and he, and he says And if you do this, you'll be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Why? Because what you're doing at the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper is an important, significant thing that celebrates Jesus' body and his blood for us. Why, if we treat each other with dishonor and disrespect, does it dishonor Christ because we all are members of Christ as the church. We are the body of Christ. So if you show dishonor to a brother or sister, the Bible says that we're showing dishonor to Christ himself. So an unworthy manner, Paul's talking about, is inappropriate manner brings the last reason why their gatherings are worse is it brings judgment. Now the judgment Paul is talking about here is not, not judgment like eternal judgment because he, he goes on to say if we're disciplined by the Lord, we're, or when we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined, verse 32, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Christians who do not have to fear. A couple weeks ago we talked about this. There, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not, we're not sitting and waiting, oh man, did I, today did I say something wrong that now, now God's displeased with me. Now there's eternal condemnation for me and, and I've got to do all of these right things. I've got to go to the Lord's Supper so God's happy with me. No, Paul would say there's no condemnation for Christians. But is there judgment for sin as believers? Is there punishment, like he says, is there discipline? Yes. He says whoever eats in an unworthy manner, he goes on to say, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And then he goes on to say, that's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Let me say a quick note before we finish this section. If you are sick today or you're ill today, if you're struggling with health issues, the Bible's not saying that that is all because of your sin. Every single instance of um, sickness or handicapness, being handicapped, I don't know. Each instance of that is not a direct result of sin. That's not what Paul's saying. We see that in Job, right? 
We see that in Matthew where uh, they're asking about the blind man. Who, was, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus says, neither. This man was born blind to show the works and glory of the Lord. So there are different purposes that God has for sickness and for illness. But we see here that one of them is discipline. So no, it's not, and this is not talking about it's our job to figure out with somebody else's sickness and somebody else's uh, hurt that they have and what, what cause that, that is. It's for each person, like he says, to examine himself then. My mother-in-law, uh, 11 years ago, passed away from cancer. And I remember her talking about while she had cancer, thinking through something similar to this and just thinking the Lord has purposes in everything he does and he's trying to teach us something in everything he does. And so she, her response to cancer wasn't, oh, this is God's hatred towards me or because of my sin, but she examined herself and said, what is God trying to teach me through cancer? Didn't know I was going to get emotional about that. Um, But Paul is talking here to Christians. And he says, this is the reason your gatherings are for worse. Is that it brings judgment on those who observe the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. So why is it worse? Because there are divisions. Because what they celebrate is not the Lord's Supper. Because they're celebrating in an unworthy manner. And because judgment is happening, discipline is happening in their gatherings. So now what, what application can we make from this? Does this mean now we should wait for everybody to eat, wait till everybody has their food when we got to eat here after church? I think so. I think it shows honor and love to those that you're with. I don't think that's what he has in mind. It's not every single time you go to eat, but I, I think it's a good practice to have. But here's the three points of application. One, God cares for his church and so should we. The first thing that I notice in, in reading this passage is how deeply God cares for his church. So deeply that he cares if somebody eats before somebody else and shows dishonor to that person. He cares so deeply for those in the church that any dishonor that a brother or sister would show, another brother or sister, God wants to address God wants to attack and wants to stop because we are one in Christ. Not many, but one. And we are told that as we show love to one another, we're showing love to Christ. When we show honor, we show Christ honor. When we hate one another, when we dishonor one another, we dishonor Christ. So how are you seeking to show love and honor to one another here at Grace Church. How are you, maybe even unknowingly, like some of the Corinthians may have been, showing dishonor to a brother or sister? But some of you, maybe it's intentionally, like, I'm not eating with that guy. I'm going to write this about her. But maybe it's unintentionally. I think that's where the examination comes. Let Let me think about my interactions with people this week right now in the way that I'm thinking about people in my heart, the way that I'm treating people. Whether you like that person's music preferences or what they drive or what they wear or what their zip code is or what the color of their skin is or what their political views or their sports team, no matter what, that is your brother 
or sister whom Christ died for, for whom Christ willingly gave his body to be broken and his blood to be shed for, love them as Christ has loved you. The second point of application, church stuff isn't always for the better. So in saying this, I'm not saying that church stuff, and I say stuff, I mean all of the things that make up uh, our church service here. The church is the people of Christ. Church stuff, meaning the stuff we do. Not all of it is for the better. I'm not saying it's not good, it's just the church is good, is made good by the way of Christ's propitiation on the cross, but... Like we see in Corinth, there seem to be those who think that merely showing up at the Lord's Supper is going to be better than if they didn't. Do you get what's going on? So there's people showing up, and they don't care about the way that they treat other people. They don't care about the the order of the service. They just think, all I need to do is show up, and God's going to be happy that I was there, and I'm going to get uh, a check for attendance. And when attendance is checked in heaven, I'm going to get the attendance award for being at the Lord's Supper. And what Paul says is, no, actually, if you show up to the Lord's Supper and you don't have the, the right manner, you don't, you're not treating people the way that you're supposed to treat, you're not viewing the Lord's Supper the way you're supposed to view, you're not celebrating the Lord's Supper the way that you're supposed to celebrate, it's actually worse than if you just didn't show up at all. And so I thought about that here this morning in a point of application. Are there times that you feel like showing up at church is better than not showing up here? Are you finding your righteousness in church attendance? Are you finding your righteousness in whether you read your Bible this week? Or whether you prayed this week? God doesn't want our church attendance. He wants our hearts. He wants our whole life. He wants whole obedience See, we, we talked about this in Corinth. We talked about many, many times about the different ways that the Corinthians were living. Gnosticism was creeping in. They were, they were living lives completely different from what Christ would call them to in the week and then showing up to church on Sunday and thinking, it's all good. And I know here in Dallas, there are people who live that way. There are people who live however they want during the week and then just come to church and feel like God is God's happy that I'm here. He's happier that I'm here than if I wasn't here. And, and actually, no, he's saying, you're bearing the name of brother, and you're treating brothers and sisters like this? It's worse that you're here, coming in, smiling, thinking that, that God is happy that you're here while disregarding his commands, while disregarding his people. So it may not be the main point, but I feel like the Lord would call any of us who view the activities we do here as a church as a way to get right before God, for us to repent from that view, to find our right standing in Christ, whose body was broken for us and whose blood was shed for us. And lastly, I believe the Lord would call this this third application is uh, the new covenant. I believe the Lord would call any who haven't put their faith and trust in him today to do so. See, this whole letter, 1 Corinthians, the whole letter is written to the church in Corinth. It's written to believers. This whole section that we just read is written to believers. Paul's promise about judgment just being disciplined from the Lord is to believers. So if you're not a believer here today, there is real judgment that is possible from God that is eternal 
The Bible tells us that we are sinners and that before God we are guilty of our sin. We are worthy of his just punishment eternally for our sin. But we see here that Jesus made a way for a new covenant, a new promise relationship with God. God will write on our hearts through his spirit the law. And so the new covenant is here today in Jesus. Jesus is the one who fulfilled that promise. Jesus is the one who lived the perfect life we could never live. He died willingly in our place taking God's wrath and rose again on the third day and now sits exalted in heaven, making intercession for us. We read about the Lord's Supper and the significance. Jesus' body was broken for us on the cross. His blood was spilt for us just in the way that the Passover was to remind people of being brought out of slavery in Egypt into freedom The Lord's Supper reminds us of Jesus' selfless act on the cross, bringing us out of slavery to sin into freedom in relationship with Christ. Christ has made a way. Today we take the Lord's Supper not as a way to get right before God, but as a way to remember the one who is the way. We take the Lord's Supper not as a means to bread and food, but to remember the bread of life who was broken for us. Today, we take the Lord's Supper not as a source of wine, but in remembrance of the one who drank the cup of the wrath of God the Father for us. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, is Jesus' body broken for us, his blood poured out for us, the wrath of God the Father on Jesus for us, in our place. And so if you don't have your faith and your trust in Christ today, I would I would urge you, I don't know a stronger word than that, I would beg you to put your faith and your trust in Christ today. The Bible is true. The judgment is real. And Jesus' new covenant with the Father that he made for us through his blood is open right now. Well, their gatherings were for the worst because of divisions. Because what they were celebrating was not the Lord's Supper. Because they were celebrating in an unworthy manner, bringing judgment, bringing punishment, discipline on themselves. And so as we look at that and we move forward, we we know that God cares for his church and so should we. We want to recognize that church activities are not what bring us rightly before God. But it's Jesus himself who brings us and makes us right before God. And isn't it great that we get to be part of this new covenant family the new covenant in his blood let us remember him let us remember that each believer is in Christ and let us love one another and worship together so as to be for better and not for worse let's pray Father in heaven we thank you so much for your word God thank you so much for your sacrifice on the cross for us, your body broken for us, your blood poured out for us. God, we just sang about it this morning. We just sang about um, how you selflessly, lovingly 
gave yourself for us to bring us not as individuals to God, but to bring us as one body, as one people, brothers and sisters in Christ together. May we look at one another with love. May we treat one another with love. May we recognize and understand what you have done for us. And may we never cease to give thanks and worship you for what you have done. God, you are great and greatly to be praised. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.